Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Well, Micah started something a couple of weeks ago, and, he, and it was called under a microscope. And under a microscope, meaning, you know, when you, when you look under a microscope, you actually get a deeper and a closer look than what is just the superficial glance of what you see. And what he did is he called under a microscope and he began to teach on and talk about temptation in our life in order to overcome it. If we don't get a deeper look and say, okay, God, this is my temptation and 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 deep into what God says about that area and the way that he says we'll overcome, then we struggle. And so he unpacked kind of temptation um, under a microscope. See, it's one thing to agree with God, what God has promised to do in our life. When we go to church, I think personally that in America today, we equate learning something with doing something. And they're very, very different. Is that we can learn something, but the hard part, it's easy for us to mentally agree with the Lord and agree, okay, God, I want that. And you know, God has promised things within our lives over and over and over. And it's easy for us to agree with that. And Lord, yes, I want that in my life. But until we drill down deeper and look deeper and begin to turn to personally apply it in our life, then what happens is, is we don't see it. I'll just give you a great example. Maybe you're here in the area, I, maybe if you say I struggle with anxiety or I struggle with fear. It's one thing to see in God's word where God said, cast your care on him because he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing. It's one thing to look at that and say, wow, God, you came to give me peace and not worry and fear. And it's another thing to go under a microscope and dig into it and say, okay, Lord, what does it mean for me to walk this promise out in my life? Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said that, that he came so that we could experience a life that is higher in quality than anything we could ever do naturally on our own. And so last week, kind of in a similar vein under a microscope, is we began to look at and talk about what it looks like when God promises us better in an area of our life. Where God says, hey, you're here, you're experiencing this, but I have better than where where you're at. And what we unpacked last week is that it's rarely fast, easy, and comfortable. How many of you can agree with that? It's rarely fast, easy, and comfortable is the way that we would like it. And then we identified three key things that must be in the in our foundation at where if we're going to experience God's better, where they've got to be in my foundation if it's going to be in a sustaining way. It's one thing to have an experience It's another thing for it to remain and sustain in my life. Jesus prayed that we would not only bear fruit, but that our fruit would remain or it would keep on and keep going. And so we're going to stay in that vein today of better. If you were not here over the last couple of weeks, I would encourage you to 
go back and you can listen on YouTube or Facebook under Micah's Under a Microscope of Temptation or last week in regard to better. But today we're going to kind of, we laid the foundation last week and we're going to look at what I believe is one of the greatest examples that we can learn from in the Bible when we talk about the topic of better, of better in an area of our life that we can look at. And it's the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And when you say, well, why are they one of the best examples or you think they're the best example? Because what we see is chronologically, they, the story in the book of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is that what you see is it's an 80-year period, a minimum of 80 years that God was leading them out of one place. He had promised them better than where they were at. And so what we see is he put it down so that we could look at it and we could learn. If you look up the word Egypt in the Hebrew, the root word for Egypt means a besieged place. It means in the sense to limit it means a fortress or it means to be fortified and shut in or locked in. This is where they started when God came to them and said, I'm going to bring you to a land and they would get it. In our terms, we, God would say, I'm going to bring you into a land that is full of bling and better than you could imagine. But in their day, the term would be, I'm going to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. And so God begins to promise them this in a place that they're besieged, in a place that they're limited, in a place that they feel shut down, in a place that they don't have any hope, in a place that they feel like is a fortress and it's fortified and they can't get out of it. And the indication is it took them a while before they cried out to God in order for him to bring him or for him to show up and begin to lead them out of that place. And this really just, I think it jumps in, it highlights something, and that is this, is what we tolerate, God can't change. I'm going to say that again. What we tolerate, God can't change. And the reason he can't is because if I tolerate it, then my will agrees with it, and he will never, he will never violate my will. And so usually the way that it gets is that when our circumstances get so bad and God says, I have better, then what happens is, is we begin to seek him and he shows up and begins to speak to our life. And the indication here is this is what happened with them. And when they came to that end, God speaks to them while they're in that place, letting them know that he has seen where they're at he feels the pain that they're in and that he, he's been there with them all along and he gives them a promise of better, but he tells them it's conditional on them following. See, in a, what we've got to understand is that living in God's better for our life is conditional on us following. We have to follow in order to experience. It's, it's, that's the way it is today. And as they followed God, he proved to them over and over that he was leading their life. And he sets the stage and begins to reveal to them, and we're going to see it, he begins to reveal the thoughts and the beliefs and the attitudes that they had picked 
up while they were under siege or while they were under Egypt. And he begins to identify these mindsets and these thoughts that they have picked up. And he said, I'm basically going to get you out of this place. And I have a promise for better. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you through this path that is going to eliminate those lim- that limitational thinking, that besieged mindset, and that fortress that's around the way that you think. Because if I can't get that out of you, when I bring you into a better place, your thinking will bring you back to where you don't want to be. Are you with me today? And so the, the reason is so that he can basically just bring renewal and healing to their inside. And so, and so they don't just go for better um, without being changed on the inside. See, God is interested in both in our life. Right now, where maybe you're looking and you're saying, I want better. God is interested in you experiencing better. Everybody say amen. God wants our life better. Jesus, Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus' prayer. God wants it better. But realize this, is God is interested in both. He's interested in what's going on in me, and he's interested in what's going on around me. And that really what we do is a lot of times just focus on what's going on around us. And God is like, yo, hey, I get it. Okay. But I want to I want to drill down and get into what's going on on the inside of you and begin to change that. In 1 Corinthians 10, we see that God, t- in verse 6, God tells us that everything that was written about the Israelites was written for our example so that we could learn from it and we could glean from it. And like them, it's usually something natural, what's going on around us that gets us to cry out to God. Where it's like, when life's easy and we're like, okay, everything's good, but it takes something natural. God cares about what's going on around me, but he wants to bring wholeness and health to the inside, knowing that when the inside is right, what he does on the outside will be sustainable over a long period of time. It won't just be a, a, a something that's, that's short-lived. And so the lessons that God brought them through are limitless. And I would just encourage you to study Exodus and and you'll get, you might get trapped in Leviticus, but Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and, and, and Joshua. But if we could just put it in a nutshell, as God led them and pretty much said to them, hey, your mindset is the steering wheel for where your life is going. And so I want you to let me in. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says that as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. And so I want to, with my remaining time this morning, I want to look at what I'm going to call four things that will help to keep me on track if I'll pay attention. If I will pay attention, it'll help to keep me on track. Number one is this, is trust God even when you'd have done it differently. How many of you know your opinion's right? How many of you, be honest. Now look, my wife's put her hand up. She's the only honest one in the whole church. How many of you know we believe our opinion is right? We believe, we, it's like, this is what I think, this is my opinion. We all think our way. How many of you think God could learn something if he would ask you? <laughs> just, a, just a moment. Do you know that God has never had an idea? He knows everything. 
He never, God has never said, I wonder what would happen if. He knows everything. He has never had an idea. And, and what happens is, is when we talk about trusting God, even when you'd have done it differently, this is where lordship is walked out in our life. This is where, it's one thing to say, Jesus, you're Lord, but it's walked out when it's like, ugh, I would do it differently. God, I think you should. I think you should go this way. And what we've got to realize is that if we're going to step in to God's better, the very first place that God is going to start in our life is he's going to say, you know what? I know you've got an opinion, and I know you think that your way is best, but lordship is you come to the spot where you say, okay, God, I'll do it your way. It doesn't have to be my way, but I do have a different opinion. In Exodus 13, God has gotten them all out of Egypt. They have not gone through the Red Sea yet. He's not split the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptians. That's in the 14th chapter. They're en route to his better. And I want to pick up at something that God said to them in Exodus 13, 17. It says, so it happened when Pharaoh let the people go. Remember, Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt, which is the ruler of bondage, which is the ruler of the fortress, which is the ruler of everything they want to get away. It says that he let them go. Look at what it says. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearer, even though we could say it was easier. Even though it was faster, even though I would rather go that way. Now look why. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war. That is, that there will be war and return to Egypt. Notice what God did is they're looking and they're saying, this is the fastest, this is the easiest, and this is the best way. But God is looking on the inside of them and he sees the way that they'll respond. And what he said is they'll quit or they'll change what I've promised to do because of adversity in their life. They'll change and they'll quit. See, God knows how they thought and what they could handle. So he led them accordingly so they wouldn't change their purpose in their life. If we don't watch it, we can say, God, what are you saying? And he speaks to us about his better. But when we go through adversity, we change it to this. And then we change it to that. And God, you want me to do this? Now it's hard. I'm going to do this. Now it's hard. I'm going to do this. God does not have schizophrenia. He's the same. He is the same. And what we've got to understand in our lives, really, really simple is God's promises are the same whether there's adversity or not. The most important thing is he's leading us. He's leading us. It wasn't that God wasn't into getting them quicker there. That's not it. But he knew what was in them, and he wanted to grow them out of some things in their life. He wanted to. See, God knows the way that the enemy works in our life, and he wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us, we look, and usually when God, when I have an idea and I say, oh my gosh, I see a promise, and God, you've promised better in this area of my life, my brain can immediately navigate on how that's going to happen. How many of you are with me on that? This is the way it's going to happen. This is the way. And God doesn't ask me. He does his way. 
God knows the way that the enemy works. And God sees where we need to go and what we can handle. You can just jot this scripture down in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says that there's no temptation that is taken you than such as is common to man, but that God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. And the Amplified says, a safe landing place. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is talking about that when God, when God sows his word into our life and he shows us of his plan and maybe his better in an area of our life, that one of the main tools that Satan uses to try to steal that promise out of our life is adversity. He, he, tries, to, he tries to use adversity in our lives. And God wants our belief about ourselves to be rooted in him and nothing else. He wants us to learn that he's faithful, that he's good, that he sees everything. Trust that God knows better than I know myself. And he's leading and he's got it. Every step will be tempted to take shortcuts and not trust. But what we've got to understand is that if we're going to live in God's better for our life, then when he leads us differently than what we're feeling like, we just got to say, Lord, I, I give him my opinion. How many of you give him your opinion? Be honest. I tell him, God, I, I think you should do it this way. And he's never rude, but he just does it his way. And sure enough, once I look back, I think his way was right and my way was wrong. Are you with me? Number two is this. Is my belief of God's better must go from feeling and reason to a conviction. It must go from feeling and reason. You know, just a quick recap of the 17 chapters. The first 17 chapters of Exodus is God speaks to them and he promises them better. In Exodus 3, God said, I've seen where you're at. I know where you're at. I feel where you're at. And I'm going to bring you into a better place. And the Bible tells us that all of them, they, the leaders in the camp said, yes, let's go. This is, everybody is on board. Then in, from Exodus 15, all the way through verse 13, or pardon me, chapter Exodus chapter 5, all the way through chapter 13, what you see is this pattern in their life where they're fired up. God is going to do it too. Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. And why did we even follow? Yes, God, you're really, really good too. Oh my gosh, I wish we had never left Egypt. I'm in and I'm out. I'm up and I'm down. God, I want to. Adversity, human tendency, all of this. In Exodus 14, God splits the Red Sea and drowns the entire Egyptian army. Then in Exodus 15, they are having a nationwide worship service because of all that God did. They're just like full-blown worship service celebrating. It is a party from all what God did. He drowned the Egyptian army. But by the time we get to chapter 16, verse 3, they begin to complain and say, we're all going to die. We're not going to make it. We should go back to Egypt. Then in chapter 17, you see that they're all mad at God and at Moses, and they say, we're going to die. Realize this. This is the tendency of our flesh. Our flesh is to forget what God has done and run on feelings and reason. We cannot forget what God has done. 
we cannot forget. God wants to develop a new gear on the inside of us that is deeper and stronger than feeling and reason. I am not saying feelings are bad. I am not saying reason is bad, but they can only carry you so far when you're in adversity or when you're facing something and the enemy is trying to attack your life. You know, this was a couple of years ago. Um, there's um, my wife. I like to ride bikes, but not as much as she likes to ride bikes. She liked to her, if she ever asks you to go on a bike ride, um, she's not meaning around your neighborhood. She's meaning like 20 to 40 miles. Is it, That's her idea of a bike ride. And so, I, and I liked it. We ride bikes and stuff like that, but she's more motivated about it than I am. And um, she likes to kind of, and I'm like, attack, go. How many of you are with me on that? <laughs> go, go, we got to make it here. And so we have another um, couple in the church, they're friends, and they're a few years older than us, and they're into bike riding as well. And so what we would do is we would do bike rides with them, and they would ride a tandem, and uh, meaning a two-person bike, and we would be on our bike, and um, and I would be riding up with him in the front, and Jill would be riding next to his wife, and they you could just hear them talking. How many of you know what I'm saying? They're just talking, and then he would holler his wife's name in a nice way. He would say, I feel like I'm doing all the work up here. Are you pedaling back there? And she would be, oh, yeah, yeah. And she'd start pedaling, you know what I'm saying? But they would be talking. They would be talking. And I would say to my wife, you're going to wear him out, honey, because you're distracting his wife, and you guys are just talking, and we're trying to get somewhere. How many of you are with me on that? We're trying to get somewhere. Well, as time went on, his wife began to not like biking as much. And so what would happen is, but he just kept grinding. And let me just give you a great example. This guy now is in his 70s, and I'm just going to tell you straight up, he leads a biking group at this church of guys that are in their 20s, and he tears them up, and he's in his 70s. Well, his wife just drifted to the point where she's like, okay, you can go do your bike ride, and you know, he'd do his bike ride. Well, then they came out with these electric bikes with a battery, and she always said, I hate the hills. I hate the hills. So he got her this electric bike, and it has a gear that she never knew about. It's the same hill, but a different gear. And she said that they would, get, they would be riding, and after like, you know, five miles, it has an adjustment where you could just hit this button, and it would help you a little more. And then if you're like, oh, I need a little more help, you'd hit another button, and it would do half of it. You know what I'm saying? And then you hit another button and it did all of it. And it would go like 30 something miles, this thing. And so they're riding and it's like a, uh, it's like a, a, a Dorothy bike. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's a Dorothy bike, little basket on the front. And she, she, hits his, she hits the thing going up the hill and her husband is just busting his tahoochie. <laughs> he is just busting, just, and she just kind of hits the gear and just passes him. And just smokes up the hill. Some of us right now, God has a gear for you that is different than feeling and reason and its conviction. And that gear 
will give you the ability to rest and have peace. But he's got to develop it in us. He's got to, he's got to develop it in us. See, the is, if you stop and you think about it, is all of those that followed Jesus, the Bible tells us there were thousands at times. But when it came to the cross, everybody left him. Everybody did. They saw the miracles, but when the pressure got applied, it wasn't conviction. The, is, excuse me, the Israelites wanted and believed, but their belief had to go deeper than feeling and human reason. And I believe in our life that God wants to take us there. Maybe you're here and he's saying, I want you to begin to challenge your norm. Well, you say, what do you mean my norm? Where you have a hunger that is independent of adversity, meaning I'm hungry for God, whether it's at my life is adverse or not. I'm hungry for God in my life. See, everyone that sees and lives in God's better, it's always being revealed. But God first calls them to challenge something in their life that is maybe it's not as best and it's normal. And God is saying, I want you to begin to realize I have better. You know, one of the greatest signs of humility is honest self-reflection in our life. It's one of the greatest, I'm going to say that again. One of the greatest signs of humility is the ability to have honest self-reflection over my life. Where I look and I'm like, oh, okay, I realize this. And we think about it. Amen. Number three is this. I got to speed up. Learn to navigate toward God while facing adversity, fear, or discouragement. Learn to navigate toward God while facing adversity, fear, and discouragement. The way that we do this is by constantly filling our heart and thoughts with what God has said and what God has done in our life. You say, why? Because understand, when you venture out of the tent of Egypt, where you say, I feel like I've been fenced in, it's been a fortress, I've been shut down, I maybe don't even know. The moment you say, God, I believe you have better, the enemy is going to ramp up adversity, he's gonna ramp up fear, he's gonna remind you, he's gonna try to bring discouragement into our life. And what we've gotta realize is we must constantly fill our heart and our thoughts with what God has said and what God has done. You say, why do I have to constantly do it? Because every one of us leak. I said, we leak. Okay, I got filled up last week. It only took 20 minutes. How many of you know you can get filled up in church and be leaving the parking lot and somebody will let you know you are number one and drain half of your tank? How many of you know what I'm saying? You will leave. Somebody treats you. Somebody does something. You say, what happened? You leaked. You leaked. God, I got to get filled up again. How many of you know what I'm saying? Look at what it says in Psalms 27, verse 1. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Notice he's full, but he's facing something that is striking fear. He said, God, you're my light and my salvation. So why? should I fear? Look at, look at what it said. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. Remember what Egypt meant, a fortress, a fortified, a fortified place. 
The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Notice he started by saying who God is in him. And that affected his fear and danger and things that maybe would cause him to tremble in his life. Jump down to verse 13. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. See, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 say this. Instead, let the Spirit, that's big S, that's the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, all adversity must be seen in the light of two things. Every time we face adversity, two things. One is it is a test. Will I trust God and grow through this? Or two, it is a temptation to go back to what I don't want. It is every time I face it in my life. And number four is this. Is my lips reveal my sips? Everybody say, my lips reveal my sips. Say, what do you mean? My mouth reveals what I'm sipping on. It reveals what I'm sipping on. See, we don't get full of the right thing or the wrong thing all at once. It's a little at a time. It's me sipping on the wrong thing a little at a time. Or if I'm going to overcome, sipping on the right thing. Let God influence your mouth. Let God influence what you say. You know, I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament of Joshua, the same group that we're talking about, the Israelites, 40 years later. And the first, Moses has died. He made a mistake, and God raised Joshua up. And Joshua was leading this team in. And as he's leading them, the first town they're to face is a town called Jericho. And God gives Joshua directions, and he basically told him, he said, you're going to march around this town, get everybody together and realize you're talking a couple million people, and you're going to march around this town once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and then you're going to shout under the direction of Joshua. But I want to read something that Joshua said in Joshua 6, verse 10. It says, but Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout the battle cry, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Why would God say this? Don't say a word, keep your mouth closed. Why would God say, I mean, could you imagine a million and a half or two million people and nobody can say a word? How many of you would have screwed up? Be honest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just be like, no, he said, nobody say a word. Why would God say this? Because if you look at their history, 40 years earlier, when, when Moses sent 12 spies in to spy out the land, 10 of them came back, and what they spoke was against what God said, and it discouraged everybody, and they stalled for 40 years. And God said, we're not going to let that happen again. Yeah. See, what we say encourages or discourages. And what we've got to realize is I get to pick, is it going to feed my faith in the direction of God's better? Is it going to feed my heart in the direction of God's better? 
Amen. Stand to your feet if you would.